Good morning, everyone. It's in, if you have this Bible, it's on page 100, uh, 824. If you have the other Bible, it's on page 1169. Or, like Benjamin said, behind me on the screen. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Good morning, everyone. A very, very big welcome to you to church today. Uh, Good morning to you if you're watching us on the live stream. It's uh, great to have you with us sharing uh, today as well. Um, uh, great that you could join us. Uh, if it's your first time here today, my name's Scott and it's my privilege to bring God's word to you. So uh, would you join with me now in prayer as we uh, prepare ourselves to uh, hear from God's word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we want to thank you so much for... Uh, uh, for the, the fact that we can be together today, uh, that you've drawn us together, and that uh, by your word and your spirit that you change our minds and our hearts. We pray, Father, that um, you would help us to focus on uh, what you would have to have us learn today, 
uh, that we would uh, be um, transformed by your word and your spirit to be the people you would have us be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A little bit of knowledge, they say, can be dangerous. And uh, you know what that's like, don't you? Uh, when you uh, know absolutely nothing about a particular topic and someone else knows something about it, then they're the expert, aren't they? Uh, at least compared to, uh, to you. And sometimes we can just accept what they say as being correct, as being accurate, uh, which mostly is not a problem. But uh, if we're actually going to act on uh, what they've said, act on their advice, if we're going to make a decision based on that, then a little bit of knowledge can be sometimes dangerous um, because sometimes things are a bit more complex than what that person uh, sharing their knowledge with us thinks and they may not know just how much they don't know about the subject and uh, that can be dangerous uh, especially I've noticed when the advice that they're giving is based on their medical knowledge. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Sometimes it can be uh, the same thing in the Christian life. Um, now, as Christians, uh, we have a, a privilege of being able to share with one another and teach uh, one another the things of God. And we don't need to have studied at Bible college to be able to do that, do we? We don't need to be experts in the Bible because it, it doesn't matter who we are. If we've, uh, if we've understood the gospel... Uh, if we've understood who Jesus is and what he's done for us, then we know enough, don't we? We know enough to be able to teach and encourage uh, each other. But what if someone presents themselves as being a, a sort of an expert uh, with having a great knowledge of the Bible and yet they don't really understand and they don't teach uh, the gospel of God's grace in Jesus. That can be knowledge which is dangerous knowledge. Dangerous knowledge. Now, think about the, uh, the Christians in Galatia uh, to whom Paul uh, wrote the letter which we call Galatians, which would be uh, good to have open in front of you. Um, these were mostly uh, first-generation Christians and uh, whilst there would have been some Jews amongst them and some Gentiles who'd become Jews before they heard the gospel, most of them would have been Gentiles. Most of them would have been people who were not Jews. First generation Christians uh, with no real knowledge of Judaism. I mean, it wasn't long ago uh, that they had been uh, idol worshippers. They had been worshipping false gods. It wasn't long ago in their lives uh, when they had uh, no knowledge of the true God, uh, where they had no knowledge of the scriptures, and that included, of course, the law of Moses. Now, um, <clears throat> because they'd been evangelised uh, by godly Christians like Paul, uh, who had taught them, people like the Apostle Paul had taught them, uh, the scriptures and uh, others uh, who were also, uh, uh, you know, uh, knowledgeable, uh, gospel-centered people who taught them the scriptures. But when Paul left, there were some self-proclaimed experts 
who arrived. They arrived in town. They'd arrived from the church in Jerusalem. And these were men who knew a lot about the Old Testament law. They might have even known it inside out. And we can imagine these Galatian Christians, these fresh, you know, newly converted uh, people come out of paganism into the light of the gospel. We could imagine them being all ears, uh, wanting to listen to these people and perhaps even dazzled, dazzled by their knowledge of the law of Moses. And yet these experts uh, didn't actually, well, they hadn't actually grasped, uh, to put it kindly, they hadn't grasped the gospel of God's grace in Jesus. And they seduced the Galatian Christians into believing that trusting in Jesus was not enough to be saved, that they also had to obey the law of Moses. Now, uh, we don't have to imagine how the Apostle Paul reacted to that when he found out because if you have a look at chapter 3, verse 1, what does he say? He says, he writes to me, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, it doesn't, much, doesn't take much for us to feel Paul's frustration here, does it? And, and I think he's frustrated more than he's angry, and he's certainly not angry with the Galatian Christians because he loves them. But they have been, well, they've been gullible, haven't they? They have, they have been like putty in the hands of these false teachers. <clears throat> because he says to them, and he says to them in a sense, you kind of should have known better because uh, he describes his ministry to them and, he, and he, he says to them that Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed to you as crucified. And, and that's like saying that, you know, when you heard the gospel, who Jesus is and what he'd done for you on the cross, it was like a, like a billboard that you might see when you're driving down the Pacific Highway, big and bold and in your face. That's how clearly he had taught them about who Jesus is and why he'd come and how they needed to respond, how they could be saved. And yet now they are trusting in Christ plus law to be saved which ultimately means they're not actually trusting in Christ. And so, uh, like the doctor who has to kind of undo the damage done by someone with their amateur medical advice, uh, Paul now uh, finds that he has to undo the damage done by these uh, teachers of the law. Uh, and in verses 2 to 5, what he, how he does it is he, he gets the Galatian Christians to firstly... Uh, think about how they became Christians in the first place. Let me read it to you. He says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard, which is the gospel? Now, notice that he doesn't ask them the question. He doesn't say to them, I'd like to learn this one thing from you. Uh, did, were you saved? by observing the law or believing the gospel. 
he doesn't ask that question. He doesn't put it that way because uh, the issue of how they're saved, that, that's the matter which is in dispute and that's what he is building up to. Instead, he asks about the work of the Holy Spirit who changes our, our hearts and changes our minds. It's like asking, what is it that made the difference? What is it that changed your life? Were you freed from the spiritual darkness and the oppression, the slavery to false gods, to idols? Were you saved from that because you obeyed the law of Moses or because you heard and believed the gospel? Now, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? He knows the answer to that. That's what they call a rhetorical question. They've been forgiven. That's what's changed their lives. Later on in chapter 6, Paul lists the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And some of you know this passage well. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and faithfulness and self-control. And what changes your life to be more like that? Obeying religious laws to earn God's acceptance? <laughs> no, that's more likely to make you feel guilty or self-justified. <laughs> or is it <clears throat> the experience of forgiveness that has been worked in your heart by God's Spirit? The experience of being forgiven in the Gospel? Is that what made the difference? That is what made the difference. And God, by his spirit, has done marvellous things in their lives, as he does in our lives as well. Now, that is what the Galatians experienced at the, right from the very beginning. And so Paul says, well, having started that way in verse 3, why on earth would you now be trying to be saved by human effort? Why would you do that? doesn't make sense. Now, we can imagine this letter being uh, read out loud um, in a Galatian church uh, for the first time and someone thinking to themselves, well, good point, Paul, but these guys from Jerusalem, they really know their stuff. They really know their Old Testament and it's pretty convincing. And so Paul says, well... Fine, okay, let's talk about the Old Testament. <laughs> but let's not start with the law of Moses. Let's go, let's go further back. Let's go right back to Abraham. Check out verse 6. He says, consider Abraham. He, cons he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham... The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now in uh, Genesis uh, God made some key promises to, um, to Abraham. And if you've been here with us in church for a while, you might be able to know 
what those, you might know what those promises are. The three, three key promises were a, a people, a land, and a, and a blessing. Good. Um, and so that, that first promise, the promise of a people, uh, God had promised Abraham that um, he would have descendants, that he would have many descendants. But there was a problem there. And the problem was that Abraham and his wife Sarah were very old and they had never had children before together. They had never been able to conceive together. Um, In Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through to 6, Abraham raises this complication with God. And, uh, and he says, how, how can it be? You know, we, I'm very old and we, we don't have children. We've been trying and it hasn't happened yet. And God did, did something marvellous for him. And you might have experienced this yourself sometime. Have you ever been, you ever been camping out bush? And it's uh, on, a, on, a great, on a, you know, big sky and a beautiful clear night. And you look up into the sky and what do you see? What's it filled with? It's filled with stars. And it's marvellous, isn't it? So God says to Abraham, go outside, look up the sky. What do you see? Try counting them. (laughs) Try counting them. Elsewhere it says, like sand on the seashore, you could try counting them, but you can't. So says God to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. See, Abraham knew that... um, his own, by his own efforts, by his own attempts, that he and Sarah could not have children. And so all he could do was to trust in the promise of God, to trust in God, to trust in what God had promised him. And so Abraham, we see here, was declared righteous in God's sight simply because... He believed the promise of God. He believed the promise of God. That's faith, not works. Now, one of the other promises God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 was that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. Not just his physical descendants, Israel, but his spiritual descendants, That is, anyone who trusts in the promises that God has made, no matter who they are, is actually a descendant of Abraham, a child of Abraham. That's Jew. That's Gentile. The issue is, are you believing the promise of God? Now, someone might say, well, why can't I... Trust in Jesus, plus obey God's law to be saved. I mean, isn't that better than just trusting in in Jesus alone? Isn't that actually doing the job more properly? Well, Paul says, all right, well, let's, let's go back into the Old Testament again. Let's see, in fact, let's go to the law. These guys from Jerusalem, they're the experts in the law. Well, let's have a look at what the law actually says. In verse 10... All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone 
who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And wow, that is actually a quote from the law of Moses. That's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. Now, a lot of people think that I can get to heaven by being religious and by being good enough. If I just obey God's law more times than I disobey God's law, then I I reckon I should be okay on the day of judgment. A doctor friend of mine trained to be an anaesthetist. And he told me that in one exam that he did, the pass mark was not 50%. It was not 80%. It was 100%. They required a perfect score. One mistake and you fail. I've got to tell you that I was pretty pleased to remember that when I was the one who was lying flat on my back being rolled down a corridor into an operating, operating theatre when some anaesthetist was going to turn my lights out. <laughs> And I knew that those lights would switch back on because he got 100% in the exam. How's your score with God? Did you know that God is perfect? Um, these you know, experts from Jerusalem, they said that faith in Jesus plus obeying God's law will get you into heaven. Really? Do you always love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind? I know I don't. Do you always love your neighbour as yourself all the time? I mean, in, in Matthew chapter 22, that is how Jesus sums up the law. I mean, it's easier to go and get your boys circumcised or to just change your diet to make your salvation complete. But to love God and to love other people all the time. Well, if that's what we're trusting in, then we're all doomed, aren't we? Uh, We're all under God's curse. Which is why we can only trust in Jesus. Verse 13, Paul goes on to say that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Again, that is a quote from the Old Testament law. Um, In Deuteronomy chapter 21, Uh, If someone in Israel was uh, convicted of a capital offence, that's offence where the the punishment is death, uh, then that person's body was to be hung on a tree, uh, which meant that um, everyone could see that this person, that that person was under the curse of God. Like Jesus. When Jesus died on that timber Roman cross 
Was he cursed by God? Wouldn't sound right, would it? I mean, he was the only person who perfectly (laughs) obeyed the law of God. And yet on the cross, we're told that he became sin, that he who had no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus died, he was cursed. (laughs) The, the, The sky turned black and the father turned his face away. He cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cursed, but he was cursed so that we could be redeemed. He paid the purchase price so that we could be brought back into relationship with God. It's great news, isn't it? But what's the connection between Abraham and Jesus? Uh, You know, there are some words uh, where the same word can be used for the singular or the plural. Um, Like the word seed. I mean, you can have a seed or you can have a bag of seed. I think they call that a collective noun, don't they? Um, You can correct me on that later if you like. But um, when God made his promises to Abraham... Uh, he referred to Abraham's seed. And, and we normally understand that as, as, as meaning Abraham's descendants, plural. But check out what Paul says, um, verse 15. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no man can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to his seeds, meaning many people, but to, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Now, of course, Paul understood grammar. And of course, course Paul knows that the word seed can refer to all of Abraham's descendants, However, he's making the point that God's promise has always been operational. It's like um, if God's promise was like a... um, Well, do you have a will? Um, I have a will. I've been down to the lawyer's office and I've told him what my will is and they've had it typed out and I've, I've signed it and I've... And I've told the people who are the uh, inheritors of my great estate (laughs) that they are in the will. Uh, That's a promise that I've made to them. And as far as I'm concerned, nothing changes that. I know that these days that people can dispute things in court and so on, but the point that Paul is making here in those days is that once that's established, that's a promise that's made, you can, you, you, that's a certainty, it doesn't change and the promise that God made to Abraham 
regarding the blessing to Abraham, the blessing is not changed by anything else. Uh, the law of Moses does not change it. Does not change it. And it's not as if uh, uh, the, the promise has been superseded in some sense by the law, as if the law has become, has, has become a more evolved way of getting right with God. In fact, what he's saying is that God's promise has always been operational, no matter the introduction of the law, it's always been operational, and in fact, God's promise has already been fulfilled in just one seed of Abraham, Jesus. And friends, uh, as we'll see next week, uh, in verse 29, that if you now put your faith in that one seed of Abraham, then you become also the seed of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham, the inheritors of the estate, the beneficiaries of the promise that God had made. Made right be God, by, with God by trusting alone in the one seed, the one who was cursed instead of us when he died on the cross. And so a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous. But it's also true to say that a little bit of the right knowledge can be very useful. When I first uh, became a Christian, I was 18 years old, and I'd been a Christian for probably only about three or four weeks or so. When I met up with some people uh, who were uh, interested in God, they were interested in God, I was interested in God. They wanted to talk about God, I wanted to talk about God. And so uh, they came and visited me a few times. And I knew nothing about the Bible. I'd been a pagan. I'd been a non-Christian. I knew nothing about the Bible. But I did realise that what they were saying about Jesus just wasn't what had been taught in the church I'd started attending. What they'd said about who he is, what he'd done on the cross, and how I could get right with him was just wrong. I had a little bit of knowledge. That was very useful knowledge. Knowledge can be very useful. A little bit of knowledge can be very useful when that knowledge is the grace of God in Jesus. The Galatians were bewitched by false teachers who taught that faith plus law equals salvation. And today there are still people who do that. I've had conversations just in the last week or so with, with someone who'd been uh, talking to a friend who believed that same thing. There are people who still teach that specific error. 
But we can't always predict uh, what form false teaching will take. And when false teachers emerge, uh, we can't predict which of our weaknesses that they will play on and capitalise on, where we're vulnerable. Um, often uh, false teaching is just some old false teaching that's kind of been repackaged um, for a new generation. Uh, or it may be teaching uh, which the church has never really had to deal with before, um, something strange and something new. How can we be sure? How can we make sure that we are not fooled, that we are not bewitched? Uh, in the New Testament, um, there were several uh, false teachings which infiltrated the churches. Um, faith plus law, uh, faith plus extra special knowledge, faith plus certain spiritual experiences and so on. And the response to each of them boils down to that one piece of knowledge. That one piece of knowledge, that one truth that has changed our lives, and that is the gospel. That by the death of Jesus alone, our sins are forgiven if we put our trust in him and in him alone. Let's pray. Father, may our understanding and our appreciation and our love for what Jesus has done for us uh, be so central to our lives uh, that we would not be fooled, that we would not be misled by those who would uh, teach uh, other things about the Bible without actually understanding and grasping the gospel. May that gospel of Jesus uh, be central to our lives. May we be people who put our trust in him and in him alone. For we are so thankful that he has become a curse for us. So that we are now made righteous. Not by who we are, not by how good we are, not by what we do. But like Abraham, by faith alone. Faith in the one who is faithful to us. Faith in the one whose promise has never changed. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.